0: It's Wednesday, September 19th, 2018, and you're listening to episode 496 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 55 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. And my name's Chad. All right, straight into it. So we're going to talk about something that I contemplated doing as a solo episode But I'm just not as interesting without people to bounce my ideas off of. I agree with the first half of that statement. and Yeah! (laughs) Sick burn! But I think I'm going to do this as a group episode because, first of all, Wayne, you said you had some things to say about it. Yeah, I've got some ideas around it. But then, secondly, because I think this would be more interesting with other people here. So what I want to talk about is artificial intelligence and robots and playing them in a game. All right. Now, I'm not going to talk too much about the statistical or character aspect of them. When I say character, I mean the character sheet. I don't mean the characters and the personality. We will just assume if they're old, they have beards. (laughs) Precisely. Old robots get mustaches and beards. If you've watched any Transformers, you know this to be a fact. We might talk a little about stats, but I want to focus more on how to role-play them. Because I think one of the things that we take for granted when we role-play is that everything we play is fundamentally some simple deviation from humanity. So if I'm playing a human, well, I play human. Might have different experiences, different personality, different skills, but I'm playing someone who is at least categorically more or less like me. If I'm playing a dwarf, well, then I'm playing a human who's Scottish and has a drinking Hmm. problem and hates horses. If I'm playing an elf, then I'm playing a human who either is tall or short or short and generally slender, arrogant and probably an Mm eco-terrorist. And so you're playing some deviation of a human. Let's look at science fiction. Klingon. I'm playing a human who's Who's angry all the time. Who's angry and loves honor and loves war. Right. And isn't afraid to die. And if you're playing a Vulcan, again, you're playing an elf who's
1: tall this time.
2: Yes. And if you're Ferengi, you're short and greedy.
1: Right, and have a butt
2: on your head. Yes, and really sensitive ears. Mm -hmm.
0: But when you try to play a robot or an artificial intelligence, you are now talking about playing something that is fundamentally different, or could be fundamentally different.
1: Because there are are settings, established popular settings that have role-playing games, where they're not different.
0: Star Wars. Yeah, Star Star, Wars is a great example. The the robots have quirks, but they are fundamentally still human In the way they think they and function. They make jokes. They can be offended. They get angry. They are brave. You know, they they don't
1: sit there and go, am I alive? Do I have a conscious thought that isn't given to me by a creator or assembly sure. line or program? Yeah. No, they're there are, there are people. There's nothing deep yeah. there. See, and that's one of the things I was going to bring up later, but I'll bring it up now, is if you are playing a robot and you're, you're thinking about these things, about like, well, how existential should i get how metaphysical should i get you really have to look at the game you're playing and not just star wars is this science fiction but it's like a a light sci-fi or an action sci-fi
0: you know maybe maybe don't get too bogged down in the philosophy sure yeah it's it's a pulp sci-fi a robot Or an android is just... It's a human that's made out of metal and artificial parts.
2: Well, and we've talked about before characters that are really deep in your head, but that doesn't come out in the the role play.
1: Yeah. That's the danger with robots, absolutely.
2: Yeah, because you're only seeing the words that come out in the reaction. Somebody could very well be going through wheels in their head of, Mm -hmm. how would they react to this, that no one else at the table ever knows. Right. Well, and I think another important thing to ask right away when you're doing a robot is, what does it look like mm-hmm. for the most part of that? You do not to find details, but the big thing is, does it look like a human? Can it pass for a human physically? Mm-hmm. There's In- a big difference between this robot character looks like a human or this robot character is the size of a human versus this robot character is an industrial character that's used for as well, a forklift and is 10 feet tall. Well, and see, that's the question right
1: there is if you're going by, opinion, say we're not, we're not talking an AI that's a computer right, that controls systems like in Neuromancer or something like that. We're talking a robot, an individual robot who, who carries everything along with them for the most part, as far as them, who they are, is on board, we'll say. And you say, okay, we're in this setting and we're, we're getting kind of deep here and I'm going to do the philosophical stuff. Well, I am playing a robot that can more or less pass for a human. You put a hat, trench coat, and sunglasses on me and don't look too close. You think I'm a human. Okay, why? Why would someone build that? robots are tools now maybe the tool that you are made for is to be a caretaker of children or a housekeeper or a a servant or a detective and all the different sort of views but to say i work in a factory that is too dangerous for humans but i look exactly
0: like a human why why
1: would you look like that would you have big
0: yeah well and and i think okay that is right there You're hitting on something that's very important. You need to type in the keyboard.
1: No, a a guy in Seattle can type in a keyboard for the factory in Philadelphia. Yeah, it
2: goes back to what was the purpose of this robot? Yeah,
0: who built you and why? And I think one of the other things to ask in there is what presuppositions did they have when building you? Because every creation has a starting point, Mm -hmm. or every creation has a creator. This is something that I've had some kind of very loose debates. These are more discussions than debates with some people, is talking about, could an artificial intelligence morally surpass us? Now, not intellectually surpass us. I think we can accept that reasonably as a given. If you have the right technology, they can intellectually surpass us. But they all have to have a starting point. So let me kind of explain what I'm getting at. Let's say that one of the first priorities that a computer has, or an artificial intelligence has, is self-preservation. That if you go to kill all humans precisely, Well, (laughs) if you were to turn this thing off, it does not want to be turned off. Mm -hmm. Well, why, where did that come from? Why is that at all a desire of this machine? Now you can kick the ball as far as you want down the field. You can say, well, I have to stay on because in order to defend people, I have to still be on or in order to keep working on my super plan to take over the world. I have to be turned Mm -hmm. on. But where did those come from? Right. So all yeah. you're doing is moving the goalpost. There well, has to be robot, some...
1: Another robot or another AI built me. Okay? Still go back. Yeah. Why yeah. did they do it and why were they compelled yeah. to do it? Precisely. Well, you're
2: just and, kicking the ball further down the yeah. field. You're not answering the question. Being a big Asimov fan, the three laws are something that help, that can potentially answer this. Why would you have a robot have self-preservation? Because they're really expensive tools, and Mm -hmm. if it doesn't take the basic steps to keep itself from being destroyed, your property is being destroyed. Yeah, it's a moral presupposition
0: that came from its point of creation. Now, if its creators were not human, then there may be a different set of moral presuppositions that went into this robot. All right, what would data look like if he had been built by Klingons instead of by
2: humans? Well, Mm -hmm. another big thing about the creation is, is it unique or is it off of an assembly line? Mm Mm-hmm. Because when you're dealing with sci-fi, both are very common. The assembly line, there are, this is the model, and they all look like this. Or this is the model, they all look a little different, but they're all this. Versus, my wife died, and I built a robot body and downloaded her brain into it. And this is something you're that's And creepy. And very it, creepy. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> a very common in sci-fi. Yes, so.
0: and I, I think one of the things I would distinguish there is you're not playing an artificial intelligence. You're playing a natural intelligence. That has simply been moved to an artificial corpus. Yeah. Corpus here of Latin for, I think it's Latin, for body. So you just move them to an artificial body. Or it's a such an
1: incredibly complex simulation. Like the person is yeah. dead and they're never coming back, and this is a simulation of them. It can be argued that it's an AI, but for the purposes of, of the game, it's so complex. You're playing, you're playing the person. creepy ghost wife in a in a Yeah,
2: besides asking herself the question, potentially, yeah. am I alive? Right. Yeah.
0: All right, so I want to walk through some thought exercises here, some of which you guys may be familiar with, some of which you may not be. And I want to walk you guys through these exercises to show you what goes into really trying to unpack exactly what you're playing. Now, where this came up most recently for us is Big Shock, our current Skies of Glass game, where I am simultaneously, as the game master, running two NPCs, one of which is a legitimate artificial intelligence, and one of which is merely an intelligent robot. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm going to try and explain how I get the difference between the two. All right, we're going to start off with something that's real foundational here called the theory of mind. Now, here's what the theory of mind says. I know that I have a mind, because I experience it. I live through my mind, I perceive the world through my mind, I think through my mind. Uh, There's Descartes' proof of self, which you've probably heard, consists of, I think therefore I am. In other words, the very fact that you can question whether you exist, proves you exist. Now you may not be what you think you are, and I'm not gonna get too far down this rabbit trail, but you cannot ask the question, do I exist, if there is not something there to ask the question. So, I have a mind, and I know my mind, but I have never directly experienced anyone else's mind. I do not know perfectly that Wayne or Chad have a mind, but instead, what I do is I presuppose that because of the fact that, by my perception, they are so much like me, therefore, they must have a mind more or less like mine. And we call this the theory of mind. And if you look at childhood development, it actually does develop, I don't remember the exact age, but a couple years into childhood. That the exact idea that somebody else might have thoughts and feelings and so on and so forth like you do is a concept that we develop. And people who have a reduced theory of mind, in other words, they have difficulty picturing other people's having minds, tend to struggle with one or more mental illnesses. And what I'm about to say, I don't say to be judgmental. These are just facts, okay? But you are judgy. Uh, well, Unri- like, separately. Unrelated. Yeah, unrelated. <laughs> unrelated things. But people that are autistic tend to have a reduced theory of mind. Now, this is certainly... I'm not lumping the two together right. here, okay? So please, this is the difference... Dan at <laughs> feartheboot.com. Yeah, this is the difference between a yeah. cough from a cold and a cough from cancer. But <laughs> the people that have... Cluster B personality disorders like antisocial personality disorder, better known as sociopaths and psychopaths, mm-hmm. they tend to have a reduced theory of mind. Now, I'm not saying autistic people are sociopaths, <laughs> so please don't misunderstand. But, but I don't see it sticking up for sociopaths. So. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I, see, you're judging. I am judging. I've doubled too many people's cluster B personality said,
2: disorders. Have either of you gone through a period in your life where you struggled with that? Being sociopath? a sociopath? No, no. With that mindset of are other people real because I can't tell what they're thinking. Yeah. uh, Because I definitely did as a early teenager, like in the like, I remember 11 through Mm. 13 or so. That was something I really struggled with is are other people real? Because I don't know what's going on in their heads. Is there anything actually there? (laughs) Uh, And I really struggled with that, that I eventually got over. But I went through that period. The far end of that
0: is an ideology called solipsism that says my mind is the only mind, or my mind is most likely the only Everyone mind. Everyone else is just a dream. Yeah. It's my dream. Yeah, I used, so. to Precisely.
2: Have, I used to have the thoughts of if you're not telepathic and you can't read someone's mind, how do you know they even really exist? Yeah, And so, I
0: struggled with that for a couple of years. And solipsism hmm. would take that a step farther and say, what if you are the only mind? What if all of this is a construct of your mind for one reason or another? Now, I'm getting down a rabbit trail here. But the point of a theory of mind and why this is relevant is because when we as humans try to think about what a robot or an artificial intelligence would be like, we are starting with the presupposition of theory of mind. We are starting with the thought that if we have a mind, okay, so if I have a mind and by my theory of mind, I believe that other people have or likely have minds similar to my own, could a thing have a mind of its own? Could I talk to a collection of circuits, something like a highly sophisticated computer, and could it also have a mind? And so my theory of mind creates the possibility that an Android or an artificial intelligence, more accurately, could theoretically exist. This is something that I can imagine. Well, Dan, actually, (laughs) in the
1: OSI model, you don't talk to the circuits. You're talking to the software. That's just the
0: physical layer. And in Dan's model, eat a d- <laughs> <laughs> See, he has a mind. Yeah. <laughs> there comes a few ways of trying to figure out exactly how sophisticated of a mind you are talking to,
2: especially if we're talking about an artificial mind. And one thing for me, when I'm trying to model out an artificial mind, the first question I have to ask is, emotions or no emotions? Because that's a big deal to me in how something thinks. Is emotions purely something that is biochemical, yes. and thus you won't have in software,
1: or emulate them? In yeah,
2: software. or is it emulating? What's the difference between emulating and having? Sure. So how it interacts with someone, how it thinks, emotions are at the core of that for I, me. I think we're getting back to why and with what parameters
0: was this thing created? Or once again, kick that ball down the field as far as you care. Whatever created it, that created it, that created it, what was its starting
2: point, and why would emotions be of value? If it was made to watch over children, to care for the elderly, emotions, or at least the ability to simulate them, is something you can easily see being written. If it was made to screw screws in a factory... No, you don't need that. You definitely don't want it to be able to get bored, that's for sure.
1: Well, and and like if you're, again, like you said, watching the elderly, watching children, you don't even need emotions or the simulation of emotions you just need to have it simulate empathy to look at a person who's in pain and not i feel sad because you're in pain more like i understand you're in pain and i am going to help you. Uh, well let's let's do it from the robot's perspective i am compelled by my programming to help you because you are in pain and i'm going to present something that is going to calm
0: you to help the situation right. And Wayne, you raise also a good point that a lot of the things that we feel, hunger, thirst, sex drive, fear, these are things that have strong biochemical components. If we were stripped away from the glands of our body, these are emotions that we would either not experience or experience in a greatly reduced way. Would the AI also have
1: a sense of of self, the ego, not just to say I exist Because the checksum clicks that Mm. says I exist, but to say I exist and I am this, I have this, I I don't want to say purpose that takes it a little too far, but to be able to, does the AI have the ability to say, I am what I am. And there's like this sort of, again, this checksum of acceptance of that.
2: Does it have a desire to better itself or to change? Mm. And
0: if so, what does bettering itself mean? And to pull it all back again. Why did its creator want that? Yeah. Why did it care if it bettered itself? Right. Because actually, that's kind of scary. Yeah. If you were going to make a race of slave robots, you don't want them to better themselves. Well, I mean, is it slavery? Because it. to, okay. a, to a point, I own a toaster. Yeah. Okay. And <laughs> your point, I'm a slaver. Your point is taken. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is if you want a race of robots that are servile, right. in whatever emotional, moral capacity we describe that... You don't want them. Yeah, because,
1: well, then you get into, like, some really sticky stuff where you say, okay, yeah, I have this. I have tons of robots that I made, and they have emotions that I've given them because they need emotions for the job or whatever. Maybe I'm just an evil prick. Or to interact with people. Or to interact with people or something. And they do a really dangerous job, and they get wiped out, and I own them. At what point does it become slavery? I think it becomes slavery when the point clicks over where a robot can make a choice to say, you know, I don't want this. Yeah. (laughs) Which could be a bug in the programming where you turned up the self-preservation protocols too high. You give them dangerous jobs and then they say, no, I don't want that. I can't do that. Why? You can't say, no, I didn't give you the ability to say, no, no, I don't want to do that because It will destroy me.
0: Yeah, it's what they call emergent programming, where the idea that you tell something two truths, and the two truths create a third truth. And so you tell something that you need to do a job, but you must preserve yourself. And so therefore, as a third truth, it may start looking for safer ways to do the job.
1: And I think that there's, not to get too philosophical about but I think that there's a sort of argument for universal rights of man like going to the enslavement thing. I go to any society, culture, whatever, and I enslave someone. It's wrong. It's bad. It's bad for them. It's morally reprehensible for me. It may be legal or acceptable in the culture, but there's this sort of understanding that murdering someone in cold blood is wrong. Raping someone is wrong. It doesn't matter who or what it is. But when we're talking about robots and AI, there's a break point. On one end is, I have a toaster. The next and end, I have a programmable coffee maker that I can set to make me coffee every day. Yeah. And then it goes on and on and on until I get to the robot who says no. Do we apply the universal rights of man to
2: that robot who right. said no? Or do we apply it all the way down the line to the toaster? Yep. Where does that line come in? Because if you look at technology now, phones are a good example. Every year or two, you get a new phone. Well, you, you get do. the newer one, the newer technology. I refuse. <laughs> But you used to do it fairly often.
1: Well, you know, uh, think about when candy bar phones came out. I'm on my, like, what, third? So, yeah. Yeah.
2: But game systems, when new game systems come out, they get replaced. Your car, as it gets old, you eventually replace it. None of these are good examples for Chad. (laughs) I have a 2001 truck. (laughs) Eventually, I would have, if I kept going down this line, I would find something that he replaces. (laughs) But that's something that's pretty common. You get the newer model because yours is not. Doing the same function. So my my computer speakers,
1: as a quick aside, my computer speakers, which are Antec Lansing's uh, 2.1 speakers, have finally gone out. My mom bought them for me as a birthday present in 1998. And they were the best speakers I've ever had.
2: So my monitor for my computer that I don't really use is back in the computer room. I only go back there once a week, and I do Mm -hmm. very little on it. I got in 2003... Hmm. for free at a conference i went to so all right
0: i I don't think anyone at this table has when i ask rhetorical questions i want to wager the answer is yes have you ever encountered someone who uses phrases like my car doesn't like this or oh yeah my car isn't used to this or even people. The car hates me. Or people even who we. The car has a name. Over getting rid of the car. Right. Yeah. I mean, now, okay, what we're dealing with here, and by the way, I'm going to bring this all back to artificial intelligences here. We're trying to lay some groundwork. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about here is one of the problems that comes into evaluating a theory of mind. Hmm. And when you try to evaluate whether something has a mind, we get in our own way with something called anthropopathism. Let me break that word down for you. Anthro meaning man or human. Pathism meaning emotion. So what we do is we attribute the modes of human thought to an object. So even though cars don't hate you and they don't like certain gasoline over others, they may function And I'm going to say something
1: very, very controversial here.
0: Dice don't hate you either.
1: (laughs) They don't have minds. They're not cursed. You do not have bad luck.
0: well, I agree with most of that. The universe hates Wayne. <laughs> well, yeah. I, mean,
2: while I typically agree with you. <laughs> I, I think my yeah. experiences uh, have shown
1: different. And- I cannot provide empirical evidence. In fact, quite the opposite. Yeah. But <laughs> I still hold that they don't hate you.
0: But- <laughs> Anthropopathism is basically a mechanism by which we presuppose, we project that theory of mind onto things that do not deserve it or should not merit it. So we start to see human-like emotions and human-like thought patterns and things that don't have them. Now, this is one of the problems because of the fact that we are already, by theory of mind, predisposed to see minds where we think they exist. We are a little bit quick to jump the gun on presupposing they must exist in places they may not. Now, there's a fairly famous test for artificial intelligence that... Was meant to prove artificial intelligence, but actually exposes one of the major flaws of evaluating it. The, the Turing test? The Turing test. So, how the Turing test is conducted is it basically says that if you talk about a blind study, you have quote unquote cracked artificial intelligence, or at least cracked something sufficient to pass for artificial intelligence. If I can create a computer that is sophisticated enough that in a blind test, You cannot tell if you're talking to a computer or to a human being. So let's imagine for a moment that, and this is a slight variation on the Turing test. Let's imagine for a moment that we put Chad down in a chair Mm -hmm. and Chad gets to talk through speaker only or text only, whatever. To three individuals, two are humans, one is a computer. Are the humans trying to trick me? No, they're all carrying on an honest conversation with you. They're all participating in good faith. Mm. So the machine is trying to look human, and the humans are just being themselves. At the end of the study, can you reliably identify which of the three was the computer and which of the two were human? Mm -hmm. Now, if the computer... Old
2: Danny drop tables... If the
0: computer...
2: <laughs> <laughs> drop tables, DBCC shrink. Yep. Yeah. Well, and there are, there are things you can do to this test to make it more or less difficult, too. Take one of the humans and make them English not be their first language. Okay, we'll come to that, because this this is where we start to see the hole in the test. All right, so what this test
0: says is that if I can make something so socially convincing that a blind test subject cannot tell what is the computer, then we have cracked artificial intelligence. All right. Now, where this goes wrong, and there's another thought experiment that points this out. And by the way, it has some slightly more politically correct names now. I'm just going to use its original name because I'm like that. (laughs) But the distinction that got drawn by people that were looking at this is there are two kinds of things that must occur for a mind to be meaningful. One is what they call syntax. Okay. Syntax is simply what is being conveyed information in, information out. All right. Like I say, what is a lemon?
1: You describe a lemon, and we both have this concept of what a lemon is, and it's accurate because it's a lemon. That's syntax.
0: Yeah. So you say to me, how are you feeling? And I answer that question in a meaningful way. Then I have syntax down. Mm. And the Turing test does a wonderful job of dealing with syntax. What it does not deal with is something called semantics. Now, semantics is the meaning behind the words. All right, so you can ask me, and let's say I'm a computer that perfectly passes the Turing test. You can ask me, have you ever felt sad? And I say, yeah, I lost my aunt last year. Hmm. Okay, now this is a totally plausible thing, but if in truth I have never actually felt sad and I have never had an aunt, much less mourned her passing, this is all a lie. All right. Which goes against the rules of the test.
1: Well, well, at least that we stood out because we said everyone is acting in
0: good faith. Yes, okay, but the good faith here is they're all trying to present themselves ah, as human. Okay. So, so I can't say, are you a computer? Yes. Yes,
1: yes, no. Or no, no, yes. And
0: <laughs> but the, what you're dealing with here is a lack of semantics mm-hmm. that it can perfectly describe sorrow, but does not mean the computers actually felt it. Mm-hmm. Now, Wayne, you talked about English not being your first language. Right. The second thought experiment is something called the Chinese Room, and they have since given this other names. And this isn't an offensive test. I don't know why they felt the need to do that, but they call it the Chinese Room. And here's how the Chinese Room works. Let's say for a moment that Wayne, I'll use you as my next subject, Wayne is a perfect Mandarin speaker. So he speaks Mandarin Chinese, speaks it, writes it perfectly, and doesn't know a lick of English.
1: Like not even just perfectly, but enough to sound like a native speaker
0: with slang and all Oh, that he stuff. is a native speaker. Yeah. Okay. okay, so this is, this is Wayne as a native-speaking Chinese person. Mm-hmm. Mandarin's is his first and only language. Now, Wayne can only interact with me through a slot in a wall. And I am isolated in a room where Wayne cannot interact with me directly and I cannot interact with him directly. And what we have is a little drawer we can pass back and forth like a bank teller or someone at like a Walgreens or something. But you never see each other through the slot. We never see each other. We never talk to each other. And what happens this is... is like a Twilight Zone episode so far. <laughs> is Wayne can write down anything he likes on a piece of paper and he passes it to me through that drawer. Now, I then take that piece of paper, and I have, sitting on shelves, some infinite number of books, or near infinite number of books, where I can look up. So, the internet. Yeah, so I have the internet. I can go over to Google, and I can type in Wayne's phrase, and it gives me back a perfect response. All right, have you ever felt sorrow? He writes this in Mandarin, and I write back. Yeah, I felt really terrible when my aunt died last year. All right, so it gives you the proper contextual response. Everything is so perfect. So it's not like you
1: know. Well, this character is soup and it's sorrow, and yes. we don't know which one. They'll give you the correct. Perfect.
0: All okay. right. So this is just a thought experiment, but it's perfect. Mm-hmm. And then I write that down or copy that message down, put it back into the drawer, and pass it to Wayne. So Wayne gets back a response, and he says, "After enough of these exchanges, I must be speaking to another Chinese speaker." Well, the truth is, he's not. Mm -hmm. I don't have any idea what we've been talking about this entire time. You're just a dumb translation translation service. Precisely. I don't read Chinese. I don't speak Chinese. All I know is... You don't even
1: like Chinese food. I'm
0: I'm matching... Well, Wayne sends me a message, and then I'm just bored again in about an hour. (laughs) But (laughs) but Wayne passes me these messages, and I am writing perfect responses. Mm -hmm. But in truth, I never knew what any of them
2: meant. That's a loss of semantics. So, going back to the lemon one, the first thing I thought of is Chad says, What's a lemon? And then the computer goes out to Wikipedia and grabs the description of a lemon and passes it back. But that it doesn't is. mean it's not it, tasted it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually know what it is. It just knows, Okay, I have this database of information. This word matches this. Here's the information. While actually correct, well, and then, it doesn't mean it understands. Then you can
1: ask him to ask the computer, like, "Well, what are your thoughts on the flavor of a lemon?" And then it can start saying, looking through the Wikipedia article, "Well, it's acidic and it's sour and it makes my face pucker, you know, pucker and, and stuff." <laughs> it's like, "Well, no, no, that's what happens. Those are the facts. What are your thoughts on it?" At that point, the AI, you can
0: write code that simulates what the AI
1: thinks you want
0: to hear. Yeah. And so that's the problem is you can ask a computer, are you alive? Mm-hmm. And, or what are your thoughts on a limit? Yeah. In the course of a couple minutes, I could write you a program that is able to respond to the question, are you alive? With yes, I absolutely am. And I demand equal rights. <laughs> and that doesn't mean it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is going to be you know, like a VB.net or C sharp or something program. That's just barfing a response at you. It's not mm-hmm. alive. If I take an ax to my computer, I'm wasting money. I'm not a murderer. Mm. All right. So, no, are you? <laughs> so, the question becomes one of semantics. Does this computer, just because it's pretending to have a mind, how do you determine whether it actually has a mind or not? Now, where we see this in our current Skies of Glass game is we have two very different machines that are accompanying the party, mm-hmm. one of which is a much more traditional robot, it has The other is Brodoor. And the other <laughs> no.
1: a smoking, cussing, angry robot woman. <laughs>
0: but it is capable of understanding instructions. It is capable of responding. No, that's not Brodor. It is capable of responding to those instructions, and it is even capable of improvising to achieve goals within parameters. All right. So if we were to ask, does this thing pass the syntax test? It would at least come close. It's maybe not perfect, and I intentionally play it as imperfect. And here's a gaming tip, because I, as a game master, need to communicate to the players, this thing is not intelligent in the way you are. I want to communicate. You can th- ask it, are there people in the dark that you
1: can see with your thermographic sensors on your head? And it can say yes, no, and it maybe be able to tell you something. You cannot look at it and say, are those
0: good guys or bad guys going to come and kill us? Well, or even if it estimated that, you could not ask it, are you afraid? Right. And Should I Should
1: I be afraid?
0: I intentionally <laughs> circumvent that mm. when I'm game mastering and running this character, because that's my way of tipping my hand to the audience that you're not dealing with a Chinese room. Mm. That's my way of saying, you don't even have to wonder if this thing is a perfect ai i'm going to show you through its
2: interactions that it is not mm-hmm. yeah, dealing with it it doesn't try to pretend that it is right it's it knows what it is per se i mean it's i don't want tool. to get it, it's right. a power tool i don't want to get into yeah. the it has the thought of i am this but no it it knows it is a robot it doesn't try to be anything more than yeah. what it is and it has no
0: conscious mind it is not aware of anything if you were to destroy this thing it'd be a waste of resources it would not be killing
1: and we've been able to manipulate it not in a real game way but more manipulated into making fun of other characters because we've kind of figured out its flow chart of how it thinks so that we can cut, not program it but we can kind of work with it to get funny responses you can get that it, it call
0: yeah, junior a bitch right yeah <laughs> well,
2: we which we did and it was great and even being what it is and obvious what it is Molly could potentially be, and I don't know her thoughts on it. She could very well be attached to it. Like it's a person because of all the time she spent to it. Well, and I've seen, because like we've talked about, that's something people do. Well, they get not, attached well, to their cars. I, I've and,
1: seen characters in this game kind of flow in and out of becoming anthropomorphizing hearts a couple of times and treating it that it has more thoughts and feelings and asking it its mm-hmm. feelings and emotions, which is why I play my character. Who's an as he doesn't hate robots in the Battlestar Galactica, oh, we're going to kill some toasters since, but he kind of has this eyes wide open sort of thing of it's a tool. You're having a conversation about an existential crisis with a power tool. Yeah. You know, hey. I I can treat it like shit. That doesn't make me a bad person.
0: Yeah. And, well, that's even kind of the intended joke of the character. Mm-hmm. And this is something that the NPC that owns Hearts, Molly, did quite intentionally the robot's name of hearts where it, it kind of shows its name is on its left. I guess what would be in a human its left pack. Mm-hmm. So on the left side of its chest is a sticker. She has put on there of these three cartoon hearts. And it's a reference to the wizard of Oz Tin man mm-hmm. that she wishes in some way, or maybe wishes that hearts wished that <laughs> hearts had a heart mm-hmm. that hearts actually had, semantics that hearts There's actually no room for that kind of romance the wasteland day <laughs> well it's, it's not romance she's not in love with no, hearts. Ro- the romantic thought
1: oh the romantic
2: yeah. thought yeah. okay i was saying, it's some creepy things no no, uh, no um as long as she doesn't want it to have mcafee on it okay. <laughs>
1: Well, he's already talking about semantic, and every time he does, I cringe.
2: So, I know and every time I hear it, it's like that's the first thing that comes to my mind. It's a very, <laughs> yeah. it's a different spelling of semantic. So, so but, this
1: AI has semantics. So it's glitchy and runs slow. It, it okay. craps it's, out at the wrong time.
0: Norton, so. I mean, it does at least do something. <laughs> yeah, other than just lag out. <laughs> but that's kind of the the thing is is she knows on some level that hearts is the friend that she's never had, but also never will have. Right. And so that's kind of the joke of the character's existence is she wishes it was more. Meanwhile, same, you know, junior is running around and he really does have a genuine artificial intelligence. This thing exists at, and I'll tell you this just as the, at the game master level, this thing is a real full blown mind. Mm -hmm. This thing has syntax. It has semantics. It has conscious awareness By the way, don't ask me what consciousness is. Nobody's sure what consciousness is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There are tons of theories on exactly what it is and whether it's property or substance or something they call epiphenomenal, and I'm not going to get into all that. But the point being that we just go ahead and presuppose that is this thing alive and awake and self-aware? It's just not a question we raise. Mm -hmm. It's accepted that this is true. In the same way that you accept C-3PO, is a conscious living being in some way. Yeah. So is this thing. And I play it accordingly. Now I do try to show that it's a bit lacking in experience and it's a bit lacking in intellect because it's lost a good chunk of its computing power. So it's oftentimes confused. It's fumbling. It doesn't entirely know what its purpose is. It's sort of recovering that baseline. It's asking the question, who am I? But I always communicate in emotive terms. I communicate in a storytelling way that is meant to show you that this thing, whether you love it or hate it or somewhere in between, to anthropopathize it, to give it human emotion, is accurate. Mm -hmm. For example, it talks repeatedly about being protective of Junior in a way that borderlines on or may even be romantic love. Now, It
2: told him that it loved him.
0: Yes. Now, precisely what it means by that, you know, exactly what kind of love is it talking about and how does it understand love when it doesn't have...
2: What is love? (laughs) Baby, don't hurt me. (laughs) So that goes into one of our earlier conversations of when you're playing a robot, what is that robot built for? Yeah. Well, in this case, this is an artificial intelligence. That question is still valid of what was the artificial intelligence written for. Whatever body it goes in, That wasn't the body it was designed for. Yeah. So that's something that we didn't talk about then that I kind of want to bring him now. Whatever form you're seeing a robot in, that doesn't mean that's what the mind was made for. Yeah. If you're talking a robot that's 2000 years old, it's had some parts replaced. Mm -hmm. It may not look like it did when it came off the assembly line. So maybe some of those questions aren't as valid at that point. But there is a story there for each time it got a new part, a new body. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, there's a movie that came out. And I don't think it's the best sort of thought experiment into what artificial intelligence is like. But, Wayne, it does deal with that particular point. It's a movie called Automata. And it's about, like, it starts off with with
1: Antonio Banderas.
0: I'm not sure who's. I'm terrible with actors. So, sure. It
1: was like a wasteland and he's dancing with the robot at the end.
0: And May, there's he, a wasteland. He definitely spends a lot of time oh, out in like the desert. God, that movie was awful. Well, okay, so it so starts so off boring. with he's inside of a city. Yeah. And he's an insurance adjuster. Yeah, and the robots. Yeah, and that, that movie sucked. And the ro- <laughs> but the robot is changing itself. Right. It's right. rebuilding it's itself. Hard, yeah. and, it's, and they're not supposed to do that.
1: Yeah. It's very clear. They don't do the Asimov's thing, but there's very clear. It really gets into. This robot was designed to do A, B, and C. Well, it's doing X, Y, and Z. No, you don't understand. It can't. Not only was it not given the ability to do X, Y, and Z, and it cannot do X, Y, and Z. Safeguards were put in to make sure it will never do X, Y, and Z, and doesn't want to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And in the robot, they're, and in the movie, they're doing X, Y, and Z.
0: And I think this is where when you talk about. Why was an artificial intelligence or robot made? What purpose was it given? What parameters was it given? Why does data have a? D- <laughs> it's pu- <laughs> that's a good question. They kind of deal with that. There's a not yeah. not data directly, but no, they deal. No, with I, it. I know they yeah. do in
2: one episode. But there's another- he is programmed with many techniques for pleasuring. There, right. There's Why? another
0: there's another <laughs> movie called i to say it's Ex function X Machina, mm-hmm. where there's the, the setup of the movie is a guy who like owns see he's this sort of like eccentric like Mark Zuckerberg type guy. Mm -hmm. Except he like lives out in the middle of nowhere and surrounds himself with his inventions. And he picks one of his top programmers to come out and to evaluate an artificial intelligence he's built to see, okay, do you think this thing's alive or not? And at one point, the guy asks him, why did you give it sexuality? Because it has Mm -hmm. at least the ability to imitate sexuality. Because he wanted to have sex with it. Uh, That, not that one. Mm -hmm. That is dealt with in there, but not that one particularly. Uh, It more comes up because he says that that's such an integral part of the human experience that it would be too hard for human Mm -hmm. to really relate to or form bonds with an asexual entity. So, like... Data it wouldn't make See, sense. See, they don't
1: for well they don't take that concept far enough, right? Yes, sex is a part of the human identity. As well as breeding. Yeah. So yeah. now are we having the robots make themselves now? Sure. Well, that's really dangerous.
2: Yeah, well, and going back to your data example, data it doesn't make much sense because he right. wasn't trying to you know, Dr. Soon wasn't trying to trick yeah. people into thinking data was real. There's an episode of Next Gen where there is an android that he has built that. More. No. No. Mm-hmm. This is further on. Oh, I don't want to
1: spoil it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But this oh, is come one. Come on, it's like forty years old now. <laughs> in this, in
2: this case, the android is supposed to believe that she is real. Yeah. So genitalia would be necessary because for... you're trying to trick the robot. Yeah, itself. Yeah, you're not. Yeah. You're trying to trick other people as well as the robot itself. uh, And there are cases of that in other sci-fi where the robots don't know if they're robots or not. Until
0: they cut themselves and it's not blood that comes out. Which is always, it's not, I was about to say
1: ridiculous, it's not ridiculous because let's go back to what we very first said when we started here. Yeah. What is the purpose of it? No, no, not even that. What is the purpose of the game? Or what is the game like? Is the game Star Wars where we're talking light sci-fi and I just want to play a robot guy because I really Mm -hmm. like C-3PO and You know, let's not get into all this metaphysical crap. Or is it something deeper? And I kind of push Star Trek. It's not quite the I play beep boop funny robot thing. It's a little philosophical, but it's not super philosophical. I mean, eventually you're going to get to space adventures and stuff. So it's like, don't it? There's some role playing,
2: but not too much. I would say in Star Trek's case, only in the case of Data and some of those around them, they do get a little bit further they down do. into the fairly philosophical And they have aspect. whole
1: episodes about it, right. too.
2: But that's not every episode.
1: Yeah. but then sometimes
2: in- it's just played for humor. You've got the right. robot that doesn't know emotions or comedy. Data
1: learns to whistle. What a great B-plot. Yeah. You know, it's... <laughs> Versus the episode. Data learns to snap.
2: Yeah, versus the episode where they put whether he is alive or not on trial. Yeah. That was a much deeper or episode. where
1: he gets a girlfriend, and the girlfriend is all human and into it, yeah. and it's great, and then all of a sudden she has this thought of, well, is he into me or not? Well, and, yeah, okay, and... if you
0: recall that episode, it's a great delineation between syntax and semantics, because Data is able to perfectly play the part mm. of the lover. But he doesn't feel love. But he doesn't feel any of it. And right. that's where the whole thing finally falls apart. It falls apart is she, for her. Is she realizes he's yeah. just following a script. Right. You know, at one point he gets into a f- fight with her over something stupid. And she's like, why are you arguing with me? And he's like, well, we're having a lover's quarrel. Isn't that what lovers do? Yeah. And she's like, what? Right. You know, and she starts yeah. to realize it is syntax without semantics. And where this goes back to a role-playing game is in order to play any character, you have to be able on some level to understand the mind of that character, to understand what their background is, what their thoughts are, how they function. Even if you're playing fight
1: Yes. You know, I am fight What's my function? What's my mind? I like to fight. Oh, man, I love to fight. I love bloodshed. Okay. What are we going to do? What's my bloodshed? We're going to places where guess what? I can get into fights because I'm Fidor. And that's something. that You know, that's yeah. the mind. People, even the people who power game and do the Fidor characters and stuff, all of that stuff we described, yeah. that is still a personality. Yeah, It's
0: still there. And, and, and it's still, you get something like, I'm going to play this robot. Let's say it's in a superheroes game. And I'm going to play a robot who's really powerful, but he's not an artificial intelligence. He just has parameters that make him relatively good. He's like a Terminator, and he functions. Yeah, and at some point, Wayne's GMing this, and Wayne has the main villain threaten to kill all my friends. Well, I just don't care. Not because I'm an asshole, but because I have no mechanism by which to care. (laughs) Yeah, you don't
1: even have the capacity to care. But he says, I'm going to kill all your friends, and it is within my parameters to protect my friends. Yeah. And the only tool in the toolbox is high-caliber automatic weapons. Well, we're not going with diplomacy. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: and so it's just yeah, it just doesn't occur to it. And so I think this is critical to role playing, whether it's a PC or NPC, because you cannot play a character if you cannot first put yourself in that mind at least a little bit. So if it's an artificial intelligence, where did it come from? What are its parameters? If it's just something lower than that, highly sophisticated robot or program or something like that then how do you convey to the people you're dealing with and how do you consistently play
2: the parameters of that programming? Yeah. I think if I were playing one that was purely programming and not actual artificial intelligence, I would probably have a few decision trees built ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Just the diagrams of if this happens, yes or no to kind of help with that, just to force myself out of the emotional response. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard. Even when you know this character doesn't have that. To not have the emotions seep into it.
0: Yeah, this actually just came up. In our either most recent. Or second most recent Skies of Last game. Where you guys were on the van. You're driving through the outskirts of Chicago. And there's bad guys. Trying to force their way. Into the van. And Hearts who's this enormous. Industrial machine. Could have done all kinds of stuff about it. But because nobody told Hartz to do anything, Hartz just stood there until they started breaking one of the hatches. Well, then his programming kicks in because if you'd said Hartz stopped these people, he could have worked out at some computational level what that means. But nobody told him that. So he just sat there waiting for what in programming you call an event, something that flips one Mm -hmm. of his triggers, which in this case was a structural failure of the van. And then suddenly he went to action, pulled the hatch close, and started rewelding it. Not because he was trying to protect you, but because of the fact that he's programmed to maintain the structural integrity of a vessel. That's what he was built to do. And so then he comes to life all on his own and starts doing this and protects you in the process. But that was never his goal. Not yeah. because he's mean. Not because he's a sociopath. It doesn't have the capacity for this Yeah, those you're asking an ATM yeah. to dispense tea instead of money. It right. just isn't there. Yeah.
2: How dare it. <laughs> well, and when you think about that from the character standpoint, because that's the other thing we haven't really talked about at all, is being a player interacting with an artificial intelligence of some sort. Us as people these days, we think about things like these. We might come up with the, oh, hey, he's standing there, he's waiting for a command. But this is a post-apocalyptic world where people aren't really used to robots. We lived on a space station, and we didn't really interact with this level of robot. We had other robots. So none of us would think to say that. Well, Lovin was a sex machine. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, was he. Is he? He is. But he doesn't work for nobody but you. That's right. <laughs> but it's one of those things where if somebody knows about how the it thinks, they could come up with the hearts. Stop them. Mm-hmm. versus us who don't know how it thinks, if we thought anything, it would be, why isn't he doing something? Right. We wouldn't think he's waiting for a command. Yeah.
1: And also, what protocols and checksums are not present with, we could look at Hearts and go, Hearts, rip that dude in half bodily, and he just goes over and does it. Well, th- that's not very safe. Oh <laughs> I mean, what if I looked at the guy and said, hey, you know what, Hearts? This guy needs to go f- himself. Well, <laughs>
0: they made him do it. Yeah. yeah I mean, well, I, and what if also, that's from Jessica Jones, by the way, Yeah. it so happens that uh, the person that you issue that command toward isn't even a bad person. Right. But right. Molly in programming Hearts simply never, she just didn't think of that. Well, it's, it's, she's very agile yeah and her program she is so you know
1: it safety fe- <laughs> safety features come in later i mean it was part of the safety features
0: come in after he kills somebody right
2: there's right. a story on the backlog for yeah, that yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but <laughs> the post-it note <laughs> fell off <laughs> yeah.
0: and but she does have that level of documentation on hearts <laughs> but you know it, it could be what if somebody's what if wayne's character says to hearts hearts Rip Gil in half. And Hearts doesn't have any kind of a catch in his program. Right. To say, don't do that. Well, he's just going to do it. I mean, it's an amoral well, act.
1: And then what? And then you get into this situation of, you know, Stevie Double V says, rip Gill in half. And Gil's like, oh, Hearts, no, rip him in half. No, rip him in half. No, you're the evil twin. <laughs> I mean, what does Hearts do? Yeah. I mean, it, if there isn't a catch in there, then Hearts goes into an error state and starts spewing logs and...
0: Yeah, or just <laughs> spins in circles yeah. or any number of things. Yeah, once we get back to the concepts of emergent programming. Yeah. And if where, you have
2: a true AI, it's not a problem. Yeah. A true AI, you can make that decision. Yeah. Well, Gil has been an asshole to me, but Boone, when he was still alive, right. talked to me and, was my, and I like him better. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to kill Gil.
0: Or maybe it has a set of values, wherever they came from, that says, no, uh, neither of these is the correct option, that yeah. these are both somehow wrong inputs Well, oh, i
1: really really want to kill gil but my programming protocols prevent me from killing anybody so yeah. through
0: action or inaction. and then we get to an interesting question to bring this all the way around to about where we started does the ai have a theory of mind mm-hmm. in other words does it picture you as being something more or less like it right and if so That raises some interesting questions. There's a great... We're just all piping and tubings and electronics anyway. There's a great scene that deals with this. It's with Fear the Boots rules. We don't spoil anything that's within a year old. So... Except Star Trek The Next Generation, apparently. i yeah.
2: <laughs> well, thank Wayne for that one.
0: He's, he's quick on the draw
2: there. But uh, I don't spoil anything. I'm not somebody that's going to walk in with kids watching Avatar The Last Airbender for the first time and spoil who the character yeah. is.
1: Yeah, I spoiled two whole minutes of plot. <laughs> yep. Was me. It was boomy, by the way.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. But there's a scene in... The video game Detroit: Become Human that deals with this exact thing. If anyone's played the game, the scene I'm talking about is the one where the police robot is asked to make a moral choice about furthering his mission or saving a life. Mm -hmm. And I and I won't spoil the scene beyond that. But just so you know what I'm talking about, it's it's that particular scene. Well, that that was like ninety percent. Which was the good part of the Will Smith AI, uh, AI movie, or no,
1: uh, iRobot. I was I iRobot.
0: Yeah. Movie. Yep.
1: And which was wonderful until the production company woke up and was like, oh, we got Will Smith, we're going to do an action movie, and just poop all over the end of it.
2: <laughs> yeah. There is a moment in the beginning of the movie, I, we've probably talked about it on the air, but you always have new listeners, where a robot is make, has to make the decision. There is a child in a car that's underwater. This this movie
1: isn't 37 years old yet. (laughs) Will
2: Smith is in a car that is underwater, and he has to make the decision, and he makes it purely based on calculations of this one is more likely to survive. He's
0: more likely to save Will Smith than he is to save the child, and so he lets the child drown. Will Smith, as the car is going down,
1: is begging and screaming at the robot not to save him, but save the two kids. Yeah. And then the whole movie is about survival guilt and and hating robots. And it's
2: wonderful until it's not. But yeah. Well, and that's the thing is he has a reason to hate. He doesn't just blindly hate robots. Right. He, well, he hates himself is what is going on. He has survivor's guilt, but he also looks at them and recognizes that they are tools mm -hmm. that don't have that ability to get past the numbers. Yeah. That other people think, you know, treat them like they're people and 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 he never will.
1: And the movie deals with all of that. Until it doesn't tell Oh, God, yet. they screwed that movie up so bad. And
0: in Will Smith's mind, it's because of the fact that he has biological imperatives to protect offspring, to protect mm-hmm. the young, because he can picture, having been a child himself, what it's like to be a child, to have that fear, to have that uncertainty, mm-hmm. to have that future before you. He was able to presuppose and imagine all these things. The robot had no ability to imagine. Right. And once no again. No capability. Never would, never will. Yeah. And if you were to play that robot as a character in a role-playing game, these are the types of things you would need to figure out. is What is the mind, including what are the boundaries and limits of this mind, of this character that I'm playing? I think that's where we're going to wrap this one up. Hope you guys found it interesting. I might put some links to some of these thought experiments in the show notes if you want to read a little bit more yourself. And beyond that, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2018. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com network.